This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a leading independent publisher with six decades of experience supporting teachers and school leaders. Learn about research-based, easy-to-use professional development books for your entire faculty by visiting us.johncatbookshop.com. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am very excited to have JC Pohl on the program today. JC is the co-founder and CEO of Teen Truth. You can find out more about that at teentruth.net. And if you haven't seen that, that is where uh, JC and his co-founder gave these uh, high school kids a, a camcorder and had them record stuff for a whole year. And then they got crazy and decided to edit that down and make a short film about it. So uh, JC, welcome to Transformative Principle, and that may not have been the most in-depth introduction before, but if anybody's seen Teen Truth, they know how powerful it is. Thanks for being part of the program today. Uh, yes, for sure. I'm honored to be here talking with you. Um, we've had a fun ride. You know, We never thought when we gave those kids cameras, we'd be, we'd be where we are today, but we've loved every single minute of it. Yeah. How cool is that? What a, what a great story. And if, uh, if you want a little more on that background, I'd invite you to listen to Jeff Becker's podcast, uh, the SEL podcast with can do you just, uh, search that in iTunes or whatever you listen to podcasts on, you'll be able to find it. That was where I first heard about you, JC, and it was a great conversation. And I, I really appreciated what you had to say there. So if you want to give just a little bit more about that experience, that would be great. So people just have some context for who you are and and why you do what you do now. For sure. Yes. It was really fun to visit with Jeff on that podcast. You know, SEL is just so important in our schools and with our students and such a just major aspect of school culture these days. Uh, it was really great to sit with him on that podcast. And, you know, that's really become the focus of Teen Truth is helping students tell their truth and talk about what they're going through and being that, you know, that, that, that spark that can ignite that change and ignite that conversation on a campus. And so, like you said, Many years ago, in response to the Columbine High School shooting, uh, we were young filmmakers at the time. Like We ourselves were just out of college, so we weren't too far along. And we just really felt when you looked at the coverage of Columbine, you'd turn on Oprah, you'd turn on CNN, and you'd always see some adults. You'd see some expert telling us uh, why those two boys did what they did. And we just really felt that students had something to say about the issue. So like you said, 
We ended up recruiting five students, giving them cameras, having them film for an entire school year. And what we got back was just this unadulterated look in a teenage life and some of the pressures uh, that would cause something like Columbine. We went on to make a film on drugs and alcohol abuse. We made a film on body image and self-esteem. And we actually made a film on parenting. Right? It was so cool. We actually gave kids cameras uh, to tell parents how to be their parents, you know, to tell families how to, how to be stronger families. And so everything we've really been doing now for the last 15, 20 years is just about giving students a voice and empowering them uh, to use that voice in their life and, and on their school campus. Yeah. And giving students a voice is incredibly powerful. The consulting work that I do is around student-driven learning and helping kids be in charge of their own learning. I have you know, a similar background in that as a teacher coming up and becoming a principal, I always saw kids who just kind of give up control to the adult in the room because they realized the system wasn't worth fighting. And it just drove me crazy to see how at some point, these kids, it's going to be all on them. And they're just ceding control of their education and their life to somebody else. And I really wanted them to be empowered to to make their own choices, not just about their lives, but also about their education and to have a voice in that. And it's so difficult to get kids to to believe that you're serious when you say that they have a voice. How do you uh, tackle that aspect of giving kids giving kids voice when uh, society is telling them they're too young and dumb to be able to do it themselves. Sure. Yeah, no, and I, I think you hit on the perfect word. I use that word all the time too. It's like control, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think about a lot of our students, they've been kind of told what to do. They've been told what class they're going to take, who they're going to be, where they're going to go to college, what they got to do, what sport they're going to play. And there's this feeling of lack of control. And I believe that that's, it's that lack of control that really causes a lot of stress for our students. And like you said, doesn't really prepare them uh, for the real world where they will be on their own and where we want them to make good choices and, you know, have some control over what's happening in their life. And so I think you pointed to a great, you know, in what you said, it was great just in the sense that like, are we doing a disservice to kids by not giving them that agency and control over some aspects of their educational experience? And so what we do with Teen Truth, uh, we we have three kind of major buckets that we fall in. Our core business is around school assemblies. So yes, we started as, as a film company, uh, but, you know, most of our business is around doing school assemblies in the middle school and high school uh, market. And I know that many principals out there listening, you know, many people have told you that school assemblies don't make an impact. You know, so many speakers are just there to like be a comedian or a magician and it doesn't have that lasting impact. And so one thing that we've found with our films is that because our films are shot by students and because they cover issues like bullying and self-esteem and issues at home, they really stick with students. And our films kind of serve as, as an example of what it looks like to have a voice. You know? And so now what we do is we bring some of our content into the assembly and we basically say like, hey, these kids talked about what they were going through. You know, what are you going through? What do you have to say about this? Like, What's your truth and what's your voice going to be? These kids made a movie. Uh, you know what? What could you do to have a voice? Is it is it art or poetry or music or is it sports or leadership? Like, how do you want to get uh, involved here on campus? And so, the legacy that we want to leave with our assembly and the messaging that we kind of want to leave with with our clients on campus is that students can take ownership by getting involved, by getting connected at school. And then our leadership summit and our curriculum kind of fold in behind that. So, our leadership summit again is about inviting a diverse group of student leaders in. 
And again, I always like to just kind of shove it in their face. Like, all right, you know, what do you think's going on here? What are the problems here on campus? What are kids dealing with? What are hurting kids? What are bothering kids? And now you as student leaders, how do you want to solve it? Like, what would you like to see happen? And, and, and when we find that when we can do that, when we can kind of t- change the conversation where, like you said, they kind of give up that control to the teacher or the principal, um, they always kind of, you know, if you pulled a random student off the street, they'd probably say like, oh, yeah, it's my principal's school or it's my teacher's school. And it's like, it's like, no, man, like this is your school. <laughs> and for three or four years, like you got to make it the best experience you can make it. And uh, we're wondering what you, what your voice could be here on campus to help make that happen. And so what we really believe is like, it's about creating that ownership and that agency of the school culture and handing it over to the students, you know, through leadership summits, through peer-to-peer curriculum, through assemblies that can drive, this is your school, that you have control here. And what we found is that when that happens, even with at-risk students or students who, who you might not think would be like that traditional leader, is that they step in the role. They desperately want to be involved in school and they desperately want to have a voice. But like you said, uh, sometimes they, they believe they don't have one. And, and that's, that's a struggle for a lot of our students. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, it's more than just believing that they don't have a voice or have any control. It's also that when they have tried things in the past, then a lot of times those things have been shut down. And so one of the things that I have worked on really hard with kids is to help them know that when, when the teacher who, or the principal or aide or whoever who's empowering them is gone, they still have a voice and it still needs to be heard. And it, you know, they don't have to have permission to be able to say what they think needs to improve. But the challenge is that, you know, kids move through and they move on. And a lot of kids are just trying to get through school, which, you know, speaks to that stress that you were talking about. How do you make it so that school isn't something that you just have to survive through, but it's something that you can take control of and care about? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a hard question to answer, right? Because we have so many kids on our campuses. Some of the schools that I visited, you know, I mean, they have three, 4,000 kids. It's easy to get lost. I mean, I was at a middle school the other day that had 2,000 kids. I mean, it's a middle school, you know, and it's, it's hard to kind of get lost in that transition. And I guess to answer your question, there's one, one thing that always stuck with me. Uh, it was a few years back, actually, on the news. I'll never forget this. It was back... It might still be happening, but in Chicago, you know, they had like all these murders and the murder rate was really high in Chicago. And I'll never forget, there was this guy on the news, I think he was a principal, and he, he basically said, he said, listen, he said, one thing I want you to understand is a kid does not walk through one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in America with nothing but a lunchbox and a backpack if they don't want to go to school. And so I honestly believe that like a large majority of our students desperately want to be there. They show up every day and it's up to us to create an environment where, where they can feel connected and feel plugged in. You, you mentioned that sometimes, you know, students have that charismatic adult, that coach or that teacher that they attach to. But as we know, students continue to grow and move through the educational process. So it's like, how do we make sure that our teachers and our staff is attuned to the relational needs of our students. And that way, every adult that they come in contact with is hopefully at least on the same page and willing to be supportive. And then the other thing that I've really come to believe, and I'm sure you, you feel this too, being a principal, is like for students to find their voice on campus, they've kind of got to find their purpose. They've got to find that, that specific connection. Like for me, it was football. Like that's why I love football. 
going, you know, growing up that, I mean, all my friends, that that's kind of what I did, but for every student, that's something different. And one thing I found is like, it's not until the student finds that specific connection and finds that, that purpose on campus, then they get the foundation around them and the structure around them to succeed. And, and I think the problem is like, that doesn't just happen like with a snap of the fingers, right? <laughs> and that doesn't happen like just in a year. Like you can't just say, oh, every sixth grader is going to find their, find their voice and find their connection and find their thing. And it's like, they might not find their thing till their junior year or their fifth grade year or whatever it is. And so for us as educators, I think it's really important for us to try to open up as many opportunities for kids to get involved in campus um, that can be anywhere from our traditional opportunities like student council and sports and theater and you know music and stuff like that. Uh, but also we've had a lot of schools have a lot of success around like having a really vibrant club system or a really vibrant after school system where there's just, you know, there's, there's other things on campus for those non-traditional students to hopefully find where they can plug into. And um, that could be, you know, video games and Pokemon to, uh, you know, social justice and uh, other kind of things that kids might want to get involved in in the community and in school. Yeah. You know, I think that is so powerful. And at my school uh, last year, we did this thing where students were able to choose the kinds of things that they were involved in. And we made it during the school day. So it wasn't something that was that was relegated to after school that you could only attend if your mom could come pick you up later than usual. But it was something that happened twice a week for an hour and a half each each of those two days. And we put a lot of time and effort into it because we really saw what you're talking about. The kids want and need to be connected. And we we went above and beyond to ensure that that was not some afterthought or some after school thing, that it was part of our daily curriculum, part of our daily plan to ensure that kids were having an opportunity to do that. So we had kids who were doing all like everything under the sun, you know, and we had them in groups as small as two kids in one group and as many as 30 kids in another group. And what we saw was this great explosion of kids caring about something that we just, we just didn't see during the school day before. And it's, it's something that like, when you see it, it's amazing and it's powerful. And when you don't see it, then it's kind of like, well, it must not matter that much because it's not happening. Yeah. But I think that what you're talking about, getting kids involved is so powerful. And my question to you, you know, your, your boots on the ground there as a principal, you know, what, what I hear you saying is that you were intentional about creating these aspects within your school culture. And I, and I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was like magic. You could kind of see it take off in front of you. And so my question to you and like what some of the people listening might wonder is like, okay, in doing that, what were some of the data points that maybe came out of that for you on the backside when, when we looked academically or when we looked at your testing or, you know, did, did you see any changes or any growth when you were intentional about creating those aspects of your school culture? Yeah, well, and to be honest, what we saw first was a decline in academics because kids were focusing on other things and nobody wants to talk about that. But academics are not the most important thing to kids, especially in middle and high school. They're important and they want to do well, but they have other interests and other things that they want to pay attention to. But what we did see was a decrease in the number of bullying incidents that we had in our school. And that was, that was very quick. And that's what's really powerful is these kids who felt like everybody was out to get them, they all of a sudden felt like they had a group, they had a community Mm -hmm. that they could participate in. 
and you just can't under underestimate the importance of having a community relationships good old-fashioned face-to-face relationships for sure all right <laughs> it just keeps coming back and rearing its yeah. head right what do you know <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, with that, what we saw was these, these kids who felt like they were alone, come back and uh, I got to share a quick story. Mm -hmm. So there was this girl, this amazing young woman who wore her hair over her eyes every single day, sat by herself in the lunchroom, drew these amazingly beautiful pictures and did not say a word to me the entire two years that she was at school, unless I made her talk to me. And what ended up happening, and again, this is one of those long-term things that you can't always predict, but this girl who was totally withdrawn, outwardly exhibiting signs of, of depression and anxiety and did not want to you know, make a connection to anybody, uh, she was able to do a project where she was working on animation and she did some amazing work and she showed it to us. And for her to get up in front of a bunch of teachers and show mm -hmm. what she was doing was, was remarkable. Awesome. So then later she left the school. I got a note from her after she was in high school that said, basically, you made middle school worthwhile by letting me do that animation thing. Boom. And like she was fine on grades and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. But but what she took the time to do was to write me a note saying that she appreciated that, that we took that time to do it. And, you know, when when you think about that kind of an impact. Like the test scores don't really matter, but that girl felt like she belonged somewhere and that really mattered a lot. Yeah, so I, it, go ahead. I yeah. was going to say, it goes back to like what I, <laughs> what I said about, you know, walking through the neighborhood with a, a backpack and a, and a lunch bag. It's, yeah. It's that appetite for learning. And, and, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, for us as educational leaders, we lose focus of that. A, a lot of my clients in the schools we go to, um, you know, sometimes the principals get caught up in the data. We get caught up in all the pressure and the initiatives from the district. We have so many things coming at us. And I, and I think at the end of the day, while we want students to perform well academically and we want our schools to show well on, you know, whatever standardized tests or whatever's going on, we want to make sure that we're creating students that have an appetite for life, an appetite for education. And I think that story you told about that girl is a perfect example of where you gave her the foundation to like roll that into something else now. Like, like we all know hearing you tell that story, maybe she'll become a designer one day, or maybe she'll go work, uh, you know, in, in art or fashion or something. And, and it was having that experience with you in middle school that was like, that, that she, I would argue she will probably look back at that as a game changing experience for her. And so how do we kind of replicate that for students on campus? Because she is a unique story. And, and as we know, every other student on campus has a unique story. And so providing them those opportunities is just so crucial to their development and, uh, and to their overall well-being. Yeah, absolutely. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to see the latest publications whose exciting ideas include overcoming the extrovert ideal in our schools, creating bottom-up transformation that promotes buy-in from all educators, and improving formal and informal continuous learning opportunities for teachers. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes. So one of the things you talk about are mottos in schools. And can you talk a little bit about 
mottos that exist in schools and why they are important and how they tell the story of the school? For sure. For sure. So one thing I mentioned earlier in my my story of origin is that I never planned to be here. I'm not an educator. I have no specific background in education. Uh, I really had one goal growing up and one goal only, and that was work for Disney. And uh, that's really all I cared about. I grew up in San Diego, so I used to go to Disneyland all the time. I kind of grew up during those years when Mike Eisner was CEO. So like The Lion King and Aladdin and all these great Disney movies were coming out. and you know The Disney stores were taking off. And so I went to school for marketing. And uh, I actually interned at Disney. I got to work at the park and ended up working at Walt Disney Studios in marketing for, for several years and, and worked at Disney DVD as well. And so when I'm walking on a campus... Uh, because I'm not an educator by trade, I guess, I do see a lot of the marketing and branding elements that are either working well or, or work, not working at all. And the schools that I visit that have great mottos and slogans that have good branding on campus, um, I really see that as the linchpin of starting a strong school culture. I always tell principals and my clients, like, if you have a school slogan on campus and you do not hear your students repeating it, then it's not working. And it's not driving culture. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we know, like, it's funny, just recording this, you know, we're just coming off the Super Bowl last night. I, I don't know when you all will be hearing this, but, uh, you know, obviously the Super Bowl, these companies are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on advertising for the Super Bowl. And why do they want to do that? Is because they want to drive a message into the audience that will hopefully stick and allow the audience mm-hmm. to relate to their brand or product. Well, I see your school culture as no different than that, right? It's your brand. It's exactly. your product that you're trying to sell to your students and sell to your parents and sell to your staff. And so if you don't have a tight brand, if you don't have something for us to connect to as that overarching uh, you know, feeling and connection, I believe that your school culture is not as strong as it could be. And we see that in a lot of messaging, like just use some marketing, like where I worked at Disney, you know, Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. And that's their slogan. And, and, and we all know, like, if anyone is going to go to Disneyland, that every single person that works in that park is going to is going to do their best to make sure that they have that they're at the happiest place on earth, right? Or you know, if I say it's Miller time, we all know like where we're going. We're going to go hang out at the bar, drink drink a beer, right? These slogans, even here where I live in Texas, we have the slogan "Don't mess with Texas." And what I love about that slogan is, for those of you that don't know, it started in the late seventies as an anti litter campaign. And it was actually a commercial where two of the Cowboys football players like were on the side of a highway and one of them picked up a soda can and he crushed it because they were having this like this huge litter problem in Texas on the sides of the highways. And he crushed the soda can and he said, don't mess with Texas. And it stuck. And it stuck for years and years and years. And I can tell you, like I've been here in Texas for about 10 years now. And there is this vibe of like, don't mess with Texas, right? Like, this is our community, and we know that if a hurricane rolls in or if there's a church shooting or something happens at a school, that no matter what our background is, no matter where we come from, as Texans, we will pull together. And you see that slogan on bumper stickers, on shirts. I mean, even listening to this podcast, you can probably just see it in your head with the Texas flag. And uh, I think that that slogan, it breeds culture in the state. And you can breed a similar culture on your campus. And so what are some of the ones I've seen work well? One of my favorite ones of all times is so simple. We is greater than I. Uh, this principle out in California. We, the greater sign, I. And he's got this thing plastered everywhere. 
He's got it on the side of his school. Like imagine a huge billboard. We is greater than I. In his football stadium, on all their social media, we is greater than I. On t-shirts, we is greater than I. Every time he's on the microphone, every time I speak at his school, he's telling the kids how we is greater than I. And he is driving that, that marketing message, right? He's driving it in the culture. So every student on his campus understands that we is greater than I. And so does that kind of give you a little bit of a conceptual approach of like how this can work on a school campus? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my schools, our mascot was a grizzly. So we, I'd say it's a great day to be a grizzly. And eventually, and soon the kids started saying, you know, when I, when I asked them how they were doing, they, they somewhat mockingly, but also seriously say, it's a great day to be a grizzly. And I was like, yes, it's working. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> For sure. Awesome. For sure. So, yeah. So that's how you, that's how you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think with that idea of of having those mottos, it's important because it it does build culture in a different way. And I like the comparison to um, to a brand and how it has to be tight or else it's just not working. And and it's easy for us to you know think that that doesn't really mean anything, but it really does. And so we need to pay attention to that and know you know what where where it comes from and why we're choosing that motto for our school. It really does. I mean, we, I mean, just think of like, if you just sit back right now and just think, what are some of the brands that you really attach to? And the interesting thing about branding is like, we form an emotional connection with some of these brands. A simple just case study would be looking at brands like Under Armour, Nike, and Adidas, right? Like at the end of the day, they pretty much all do the exact same thing. They sell shoes and athletic clothing. But for whatever reason, maybe you attracted to Under Armour for, because of their marketing, or maybe maybe Nike, you had a good experience with them growing up, or you like Michael Jordan, whatever it is. Like you form an emotional connection with that brand, and it creates brand loyalty. And I think the same thing can be can be happening on campus. And I, I think one of the things that principals and educators mess up a lot when they create this branding and this messaging is again going back to our original conversation. They don't involve students in the process. Like they're creating this brand and they're creating all this messaging and it's a bunch of adults sitting in a room or it's a bunch of adults using something that someone came up with 10 or 15 years ago. And it's like, would Nike or Under Armour ever do that? No, they would have focus groups and marketing teams and they would put a ton of money and effort behind you know, launching a new brand or a new campaign. And I think that you need to look at the branding and the messaging on your campus the same way and make sure that staff, students, maybe even parents have a seat at the table as well. So you know that that message is kind of, um, you know, vetted out and you feel like it will represent your community properly and represent your students yeah. properly. And uh, we can't do that if we're not asking them. Yeah. And, and that also speaks to this idea of, of having the uh, swag that goes with your school, you know, like shirts and, and sweatpants and, you know, bags that have your logo and motto and everything on it and how, how that, that is really powerful when, when, you, when it starts to work, that kids want to wear the gear associated with your school because it doesn't always happen that they do. And when it does and they're involved in it, you know, so for example, we, we would have students design the yearbook cover of our yearbook every single year. And, you know, just that one little thing got a lot of people interested in it and gave everybody an opportunity to use their skills if they wanted to. And then those who won that contest got to have their drawing on the cover of a yearbook for, you know, for all time, you know, for forever for that one year. 
And yeah. it's a really you know, a little thing, but it makes a big difference in helping kids feel connected and feel part of the school. Right. Uh, so, JC, the, the last question I ask in each interview is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Well, I think, you know, I've had the opportunity and kind of the blessing to travel to, you know, over a thousand school campuses. So I've met principals in every state in this union and every type of community you can imagine. And I think the first thing that that I want you to realize as a principal is just how important your job is and how important your voice is on campus. Uh, you are, And you know this, you're the leader of that school and your vision and what you communicate to your staff and your students is so important. Uh, no one would want to follow a great football coach into a into a big football battle if you didn't believe in that person and didn't think that that coach could could help you win the game, right? And I think that every principal uh, needs to go all in, uh, even with something as simple as a slogan. I mentioned the principal out in California with "We is greater than I." It's like he's all in on that thing. He probably doesn't even make a social media post or talk to a student without saying "We is greater than I." Another principal I love, Jeff Eben, out, uh, he was out in Clovis, California. His saying was, feel the love. I tell you, there was not a student on that campus that Jeff didn't tell, feel the love. And when you walked on that campus, you truly could feel the love. And I think, I know as principals, you get bogged down with a lot of stuff. There, It's crazy. Your job is nuts. I mean, you're dealing with data issues, staff issues. Uh, you got someone in the district calling you. And you got a kid down the street that got in a car accident and parents upset with you about something else that happened the day before. And it's just, it's a crazy job. And so for you to kind of shine through and at least stay true to that vision and be that leader is just so, so important. And then I think the other thing that I just hope that you carry in your heart, maybe after listening to this interview, is that I I truly honestly believe that every student and every staff member on your campus is doing their best. And it may not be reflecting in the way that that you wish it was. But I truly do do believe that they're showing up and doing their best. And so I think we talked about some great examples of here of, of how maybe finding that alternative opportunity to get a student plugged in or finding that same thing with staff members too, like finding that unique uh, thing where they can like feel empowered and, and, and feel like you believe in them and that you want them to be successful is just so important because I really believe that 99.9% of our staff members, they became teachers because they desperately want to help students. And I would say, you know, not 99% of our students want to be at school, but I would argue a large, large percent of them want to be there. They want to have a great experience. And it's our job to just help them find that path. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is is really powerful. JC, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. People can learn more about Teen Truth at teentruth.net. And uh, they can follow you on Twitter at JC underscore poll, P-O-H-L. And um, I appreciate your time. And this has been a great conversation. And thanks for being part of Transformative Principle today. Yeah, definitely. It was was awesome to sit and talk with you. I love this stuff. And if there's anything I can do to support you down the road or support any of your listeners, just let me know. And and maybe just one free gift I just want to offer out to y'all if if you're if you're interested. Oh yes, please. Thank Um, you. You know, always just want to support just yeah, I always just want to support y'all and just anything that we can do to help. Uh, if if you go to teentruth.net slash school culture. So that's teentruth.net forward slash school culture. Uh, you can actually download a free copy of the school culture book that I wrote. Um, it talks about many of the principles we discussed today. Uh, specifically, it talks about branding and messaging, as well as kind of creating that student ownership on campus. So if you'd like to download that, it's completely free, uh, no strings attached, just want to help support you and 
and do anything we can to uh, root you on here during the school year or on into the next one. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for remembering to bring that up at the uh, show notes for this transformativeprinciple.org. You can get click on the link and I'll take you straight to that uh, so you can get that book because it is a great book. So thank you again, JC, for being part of Transformative Principle. Definitely. Take care. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information or learn more in our show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com be to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's ixl.com be.